Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 164 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Cassie Newell all about writing fuel and keeping you writing for the long term. But first to last week's question, which was, do you struggle to make time for all the things in life? Chris on Instagram said, the struggle is real. Looking forward to listening. Thank you very much. And uh, Kim said, loved the episode. Sorry to hear of the horrid mum group experience that no new mum should face. Uh, but so blown away to hear that you that you seen dream before bed because guess what so do I and I thought it was just me and I have learned to cut myself slack and remember that there are cycles to produce productivity and writing flow and be kind to myself and my family I love all of those things and yes um I don't know that I dream the scenes but it is what I think about as I go to bed so I sort of get ideas in that lucid period before um sleep and yeah, like sort of when you're not quite asleep, but you're not quite awake anymore either. All right, so this week's question is, okay, this week's question is a tricky one because I don't want to ask the question to make you feel like you should anything, but also sometimes I feel like deep down we know that there are things that we could do in order to help ourselves. So the question is, what should you be doing that you aren't? And this could be anything. It could be a thing to like be more kind to yourself, right? Or it could be a thing to help you motivate yourself or or bring you joy in your life. Don't think of it, the question as something that is like a, oh, I should be working harder or, you know, that's not why I'm asking. All right, the book recommendation of the week this week is a book from one of my upcoming guests, C.L. Polk. Their book is called Even Though I Knew the End, and it is a novella. It's about 130 pages, and I devoured it. It came out uh, yesterday as I, no, maybe the day before as I record this. So today is Thursday the 10th of November. Yeah, and I think it came out a couple of days ago, so you can get it everywhere. It's about 130 pages and it is a um, 1940s noir uh, fantasy, sapphic fantasy. And it has this delightful, bittersweet ending with gorgeous prose and the thing that I loved most about it was the voice it was a masterclass in voice the noir voice filtered through not just the the dialogue but also the narration and it was just fantastic also it's a really rich world building uh, story as well so yeah and of course it's Suffolk so of course I'm gonna love it <laughs> so yeah I recommend you go read that all right so in personal update I'm decidedly in a better mood than I was last week. I was very grumpy last week, so I apologise for that, but we're all allowed those grumpy days. This week I am feeling a lot better and surprising literally no one. The reason I'm feeling better is because I am a shitload further through this edit. Also, Ellie, my coach, kicked my ass <laughs> and reminded me um, that I have some strengths that everybody drank that like to lie to me <laughs> about how long things have taken. So when I added up the amount of time that I have spent editing, 
um, if we go, if we include sort of today and tomorrow, then uh, it's actually only been three working weeks. But because I had a break in the middle and because my strengths like to lie to me, I thought it had been like two months and... <laughs> I know, it's wildly dramatic, but hey, we all lie to ourselves about shit, so you know. Uh, anyway, so I feel a lot better because actually three weeks to edit a book isn't that bad. Um, actually, it's bloody brilliant, really. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. And uh, I haven't finished. I have not finished. I should caveat this conversation by saying I have not finished. But I am very close to finishing. I have eight chapters left, I think, as of this morning, about 22,000 words left to edit. And it's Thursday morning. My, this podcast is the only thing I have to do today. And then I am going to edit, edit, edit. And I've got all day tomorrow to edit, edit, edit. And then I have a very busy weekend and micro coaching on Sunday. So I'm really hoping that I can go to micro coaching able to say I finished the fucking book. But we will see <laughs> because there are all manner of life things that like to get in the way but I'm going to try my absolute hardest I managed three chapters yesterday so yeah we will see the things that I have been working on include the audiobook I am so fucking determined to get this fucking thing done I love it I think it's better than my first audiobook I mean I would hope that it was better but yeah I feel like it's a better book I um not a better book I don't mean that I mean a better like I have I mean, look, we learn, right? And so I feel like I have narrated better uh, this second audiobook. And so I only have four sections left. One I do need to record and obviously then edit, but uh, I only have four sections left. Then I need to do the pickup. So I'm not going to say when I think it will be done, <laughs> but I'm hoping it's very soon. And um then I will release it and, and get it through all of the, the channels and stuff. So yeah, I will be really delighted if I can do that. Uh, <laughs> nearly said more timescales. <laughs> soon, soon, soon. That is the answer. Can I do it soon? In terms of what I work on next, well, here's the funny thing. I don't know. Uh, Ellie, my coach, one of the things that uh, she has banned me from doing is making decisions uh, whilst I edit because I went into quite severe decision fatigue, uh, which basically put me in a bit of a hole and I was completely incapable of making any decision about anything, um, including stupid shit like what to wear, what we're going to eat, or what my name was. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm kidding a little bit, but um, it was pretty bad decision fatigue, and I was extremely exhausted in a way that I haven't been for a really long time. Uh, so that was a bit scary. But anyway, uh, so I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week. <laughs> I can't even tell you. What I can tell you, though, is that uh, it is Black Friday this month, and I think there's also Cyber Monday. And so I am throwing a gigantic bargain discount party. Uh, it's the biggest one I've ever done. So I am going to give you 30% of everything, literally everything. The caveat is you have to buy direct. So this means 30% off my courses, 30% off my digital books, and 30% off my uh, audiobook as well. I have never, ever discounted everything before, but I'm doing it this once, and it is a limited time only. 
This sale runs from the 14th of November to the 4th of December. I will also be uh, creating a big blog post uh, that has all of the deals that I can find for writers and I will release that in the next couple of weeks so that you can take advantage of a ton of discounts and deals. Some of them of course will have affiliate links, not all of them because I, I don't have affiliate links for everybody. Um, but yeah, I am in the process, I say I, Royal I, Becca, my amazing fucking VA is doing this uh, for you guys. But yes, yeah, so we will have collated all of the discounts and deals that I can find. Uh, but for my discount, you can use the code BLACKFRIDAY30 in all caps, BLACKFRIDAY30. So uh, yeah, if you would like to get 30% off my digital books, audio book and all my courses, then you can by um, using the links in the show notes. So either you can go to my website, sashablack.co.uk um, and then click on shop or you can uh, use the links in the show notes. All right, so yeah, I think that's all that I can tell you about me this week because Ellie won't let me make any decisions. So I don't even know what I'm gonna do next week. How scary is that? For somebody who likes a plan, this is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Uh, oh, actually, no, I do know one other thing that we will be doing. As this airs, it will be the next, it will be Wednesday, uh, the 16th of November, and it will be the evening of the next Rebel Readers Masterclass. So if you are not part of my Patreon, then you may not know this, but um, at the $15 a month level, you get a class every quarter. We have a movie night in conjunction with the class uh, where we all get on Zoom and we watch a movie together and there's lots of banter and chat in the uh, comments. And then we have a class every quarter. This month's class is on tension and conflict. And we read a book together. I help to deconstruct it. And we I then present a class, which is usually uh, about 90 minutes. Sometimes we go on for two hours. Hello, kitten. Yes, the kittens are either on the desk <laughs> or causing chaos. But Duchess has uh, realised she was left out because Duke was already on my desk and so she was meowing, if you could hear that in the background. The Rebel of the Week this week is Mark Lewis. Mark says, I was a quiet, shy boy in high school and even in grade 11, I didn't speak up too much or make many waves until my inner rebel made itself known. The girl I had a huge crush on for months was sitting in front of me in English class. Our desks were near the window and it was a nice June day. For some reason, in the middle of the lecture, she turned around and dared me to jump out of the window. <laughs> I didn't hesitate. Oh my God. If I would have hesitated for one second, oh my God, the cat is trying to attack the audio levels on the screen. This is going to be a... Who? Get cats, they said. It'll be fun, they said. Anyway, if I would have hesitated for one second, I wouldn't have done it. And I knew that. So I immediately jumped up, ran <laughs> and dove headfirst out of the window. Luckily, we were on the first floor, but I was still pretty high up. I landed headfirst, uh-oh, on the grass, jogged back into the school and casually strolled back into the classroom like nothing had happened. The whole class started cheering and clapping as I walked in. For the first time in my life, I felt like a rock star. The teacher... <laughs> <laughs> the teacher wasn't as enthused by my performance and she told me in a stern voice to stay after class because she wanted to talk to me. 
My mum was quite strict and I was nervous to get into trouble, but when I saw my crush's blushing cheeks and shy smile as she watched me walking back to my desk, I knew that whatever punishment my mum or the teacher or the principal would give me would be worth it. After the class, the teacher asked me why the hell I would dive out of a window. (laughs) And having no good answer to that, oh my God, I love this story. I told her the truth, hoping she would be a romantic... Hoping she would be a romantic at heart and give me a pass. Ah, well, it worked. <laughs> she laughed and sent me on my way. Oh, my God, you legend. Unfortunately, my courage ended there. And I never did ask the girl out, even though I'm now pretty sure I would have gotten a yes. Oh, I love this story. I wish you'd asked her out, though. But what a brilliant, brilliant story. Thank you so much. And I would love it if you also have a Rebel of the Week story. If you would like to be a rebel, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. We are always, always, always in need of these stories. So please do send them in because I would like to keep reading them out. They bring me a smile and a little bit of joy every single week. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail. Hello and welcome to Deb Schwab and a huge thank you to Erica Lott who upped their pledge um, and joined me at the Rebel Readers Masterclass level. A big thank you to all of my existing patrons. I love you guys. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your support for the show and I love that you guys helped to keep it running and you helped to make me know that you still want the show to run as well. So thank you so, so much for the support. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, as well as joining the Slack group uh, community where there is always writing, chitter-chatter, support, questions being answered, and uh, general writing love happening, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okie dokie, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am delighted because I have one of my faves returning to the show today. Today, I am joined by Cassie Newell. Cassie is an author, podcaster and graphic designer. She coaches writers through the Sassy Writing Coach platform and the Writer Fuel community, online courses and various coaching services. Cassie is originally from Tennessee, where she gained the nickname Sassy Cassie from an early age. She is a nomad from various states and countries calling home to sunny Florida with her family, where she cheers on her favorite hockey team, Tampa Bay Lightning. Hello and welcome back. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me back. (laughs) You are most welcome. So Cassie has been on the show twice before, although officially only once um, as a guest. So she was on episode uh, 134, which was how to launch your first book with um, Cassie Newell, Shane Miller and Scott Williamson. And then you turned the tables on me (laughs) uh, in episode 149, which was uh, my launch episode, The Anatomy of a Bestseller. Um, And you got to be the rebel host for a day, which was awesome. So normally I'd start by asking you to tell everyone a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are. But we did that in episode 134. Oh, and for listeners, both of these episodes will be linked in the show notes. But instead, I'm going to ask you, in your journey, 
so far to, to here, to today, to this wondrous day, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned on your journey? And it can be anything. To be kind to myself, <gasps> to be quite honest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say this, um, to preface it, why I say that, because I am not only an author, I am a mother, a daughter, a sister. Um, I work full time outside of this career and I also write fiction and I also do graphic designs, like all these different things. I'm multi-passionate entrepreneur, lover of all things. Right. And I think that you put a lot of pressure on yourself and as a result, sometimes you're not kind to yourself. And I learned over the last year to be kind to myself. That's the biggest lesson I've learned. That is a very tough, tough lesson. I'm not very good at being kind to myself. <laughs> like, do you I'm think not always? Do you think there's yeah. any merit in not being kind to yourself? Like, do you think it's ever, do you think there's ever a type of person where that can work as like a, I don't know, as a motivator? Or do you think generally speaking, it is just a negative to everybody? No, I don't think it's a negative to everybody. <clears throat> and I'll say this because I have a teenager who can be very lazy and unmotivated. And sometimes that individual needs a little push and it's not always her being kind to herself, but at the end there is kindness because she achieved what she wanted to achieve. So I think there's a difference in personalities as to whether being not kind to yourself and being kind to yourself is a motivator or it's a dissension of mm -hmm. motivation. It's one or the other for you typically, but I find I'm really hard on myself Yeah, as, as somebody who likes to achieve and likes to tick the box and likes to have multiple things going and done. And when I miss those things or they don't go as planned, I'm very unkind to myself because it's why couldn't I get that done uh, versus, okay, let's pivot. Let's think about this. What, what can I do next? What's the next step? You know, oh my God. take a moment, breathe. And that's what I've been doing a lot this year and even more so recently, but let me guess, yeah, is I, it Ellie? Because literally the words coming out of your mouth, I'm like, oh, wow, Ellie, you, you devious genius coach you because I'm like she's literally been teaching me to be kind to myself and I haven't even fucking noticed <laughs> that woman is a fucking genius <laughs> no actually Ellie didn't tell me that I think wow. I think it's something I decided to do actually this summer because I was pushing really hard I finished a fiction book I started my non-fiction book and I was just going 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 I started a graphic design company that I haven't even literally launched yet but um, you have now. In, yeah <laughs> I have now yeah. um, but you know like things were just building 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 and I I noticed and work my day job was not getting easier. It was getting harder and mm. they love to give me the really hard things. And so I just realized I needed to be a bit more kind to myself. Yeah. Do, does not being kind to yourself come in the form of self-talk or do, is it other things as well? Yeah, it's mindset really. I mean, it is self-talk. It's positive self-talk. It's taking a breath 
and pausing. And it has to be purposeful because it's not something, you know, people can say that very tongue in cheek, Oh, be kind to yourself, you know, be the authentic you and all these like little catchphrases you hear, but it has to be purposeful. Like when you are just really run down and you're thinking to yourself, I need a nap. I need this. I need that go wait a minute, let me ask the question. Why do I need this? What's been going on? Like pause, take stock. Mm -hmm. It is mindfulness. It's purposefulness of asking those questions. Otherwise, if you're like me, it's just go, 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 go. (laughs) And you don't stop and you don't think about it. So lately I've been stopping and thinking about it. Is my house perfectly clean? No, but that's okay. You know, like I take the time to go, okay, just be kind to me, you know? So that's kind of where that comes from. And that's been my journey so far, because I tell you, I think there's a lot of people that can go, 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 but then at some point they're going to run out of that fuel or that motivation or that stature. And it, it will wear on them physically and not just mentally. It'll come in a combination of both. And I'm kind of at that stage in my life where I'm like, okay, I need to protect that for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's almost like giving yourself little mini pit stops to prevent a massive car crash. <laughs> like, you know, as long as you're getting yeah. the pit stops and you're refueling in whatever way that looks like, then um, hopefully you will prevent the car crashes. Okay. So we are going to talk about Writer Fuel because that is your <laughs> debut nonfiction book. Um, and I think that a lot of writers can get caught up doing things that they think that they should be doing rather than perhaps the things that make them happy, which is kind of what we were talking about being kind to ourselves. Um, and funnily enough, what one question that floated through my head was, are you happier now, now that you're being kinder to yourself? Um, but you can answer that when I, when I finish talking anyway, so you start your book by giving writers permission, which I fucking loved. So tell me what do we need to have permission for? And why do you think that's important? So the word permission is a word of release. So let that sink for a moment because there's this mental act combined with any physical act that you do for a goal that gives you agreement. And a lot of times we physically go, okay, I'm going to write a book. And you go about, you know, the physical act of writing a book potentially or a story. But if you don't have that, a mental agreement and part of that release, which is permission, then it doesn't come together in the agreement of what that goal is. And many times you start to waver in your confidence. Um, it could be in the middle of the activity. Um, it's, it's something that I think is really important for people to recognize and hold. It seems very soft skill oriented and it kind of is. I mean, we do this in the corporate world too. Sometimes, you know, you need to have a task done what your job is around that task. Is there other people you need to correspond with and discuss in order to complete that task? Is there a permission aspect, a hierarchy? With writing, the hierarchy is you. And a lot of times you look to others to get that permission. You don't need their permission. You only need yours. So I think it's really important um, to do that at the very beginning of any, any activity quite frankly. And permission is really just a word of release. It's a mental release and it's an agreement with the physical activity. 
That's so interesting. Does it feel different when you give yourself permission then? Um, I think it does because when you give yourself permission to do something, right, it, it's almost like it's the rebellion, really. I, I mean, this speaks to your rebel audience and heart, right? It's the rebellion of hell. Yes, I'm going to do this, right? Yeah. It's not only the physical act, it's the mental act of I'm going to complete this. And this is how because I'm allowing myself to do it. Again, the release of that, right? So if, if you were ever a kid, and your mom said, don't do this, and you were like, oh, I'm absolutely doing that, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. There was that physical act of doing it, but then you got caught, right? So what was that next step? I didn't have permission to do this. I am in deep poo-poo, right? With my mother or parent or whoever it was who said, don't do this. Now, if you reverse that situation and your parents said, don't do this, right? And you're like, why I'm get, I'm going to do this. Right. And you have gotten the permission after the rationale and speak with your parent, you went ahead and did it. You know, you're not going to have a consequence of that. Right. So it's, it's kind of in the same line, except the permission is yourself. Yeah. That's a really interesting one because I sometimes, uh, will like voice memo a friend and be like, can you just give me permission to to like rest or to like, and, and the thing is, is that I know I have permission to do it, but like, I can't give myself permission unless somebody else gives me permission, which is like the least rebellious thing ever. But it's all it, like, sometimes I just need, need permission because otherwise, mm -hmm. like you were saying earlier on, I'm so hard on myself that I'll be like, bitch, we don't get a break this evening. Like, come on, it's Suck not it even up. 10 o'clock yet. <laughs> what are you doing away from your desk? Like, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely, yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that's really interesting. But yeah, I, and it's almost like the more important the thing that you want to do is, the harder it is to give yourself that permission. Yes. It's like, it's like that, it's like, the 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 jump that you take when you quit your job is terrifying and you have to mm -hmm. give yourself permission to do that jump otherwise you will fall um so yeah I love that so much why can't we just use sheer determination to get through the process why do you think that just grit and bearing it and and digging deep is faulty logic like and what can we do about that so I don't think that it's something you can't do, but I okay. think it's short term. Okay. So I talk about this in writer fuel actually, because I think, um, when you bear down and you're like, like anyone, I'm going to get on this treadmill and I'm going to run my two miles and however many minutes, right. You're going to bear through that, right. You're going to get it done. That's short term thinking. Right. But if you want to run a marathon, <laughs> that's a different training process. That's a different mindset. Same thing with writing. I feel the same way. You can bear through it and get book one done, get your first short story done, whatever that goal is. But if you want to continue that process, you have to start thinking of the long term. And really, that comes to your why. And how, and I talk a little bit about this in my book, but really 
it it folds from Simon Sinek. He he's built a platform on why why you do things, inspiration around your goals and how you get to them. So and and lately he's more talking about the hows, and I think they're really important because your goal for writing a book or getting a publication in you know, a series or, you know, writing different things, or maybe even an anthology submitting to a contest, whatever that goal might be right there. There's usually a deep seated reason why you're doing those things. And I think it warrants time to figure that out. Does it need to be something stopping you from writing that you need to figure out that why I don't think so because you can through sheer determination of wanting to do it, do it. But I think as you're going, you need to start thinking about, you know, is it short-term and guess what? That is a, okay. (laughs) I don't, I don't feel that every author needs to be a long-term author either. I, I feel that whatever goals you have, those are your goals and warrant them. But if it's something that's more deep seated and you're wanting a career longevity, other books, you know, start really thinking about those definitions of your own goals. Do you think our why can change? Yes. And I think it can evolve and it's in the season in which you are in. And I think you should revisit your why as you go. Have you got any advice on how to kind of find it? Like, cause I feel like sometimes I lose my why and then I refind it and then, yeah. Yeah. So actually there's a couple of questions in my book. I ask, ask you really to start thinking through. I even have like a free workbook around it too, just to work through questions on why. So for example, me, when I started my why, my why was very surface level. Um, I mistake the icing for the cake in the initial start of my why for writing. It was all around my teenage daughters at the time. It was all around wanting to write a really powerful female heroine <laughs> that didn't need a, a white knight on a horse to save her when she was capable of saving herself. Like that was my total why. And I realized that why was all about them and not about me. So then it was like, well, what is my why? And that really struck me in book two that, okay, they've already heard about this first book. They're like sick of it. They, they kind of know where things are going. So then it was, it was kind of me and the character figuring out, you know, what does this mean for me long-term? You know, why am I doing this? Oh, because I was raised by a fiery mother who was like, we're breaking the glass ceiling, kiddo. You know, this is, you don't go to college for an MRS degree. You know, you go to college to get a degree. Um, There were certain things in my life that I never added up to, okay, this is why I'm the supporter of my family. This is why I do the things I do. This is how I got to these levels. You know, it's, it's very interesting when you start breaking those things down and looking at who your influential mentors were or are. And that changes over your life. Your mentor from when you were little is not the same mentor who they are when you're 40. You know, it it changes, it evolves. And so I found something that, I don't know, I guess I sort of leaned into more and more. And then with nonfiction writing and coaching, I found a different path 
that was really self-satisfying. And I found myself more in a teacher role than a doer role. And I thought, wow, this is where I fit. And it's, it was kind of enlightening. And that why has changed so much from when I started. I think I might need to revisit my own why. It's inspiring to hear you talk about like the journey and how it's evolved over um, the years. The other thing that I loved or also raised my eyebrow in your book is that you talk about starting before you're ready. So do you mean like starting to draft? But what about the people who are plotters? Or or like start what? What is it that you think is in important to start before you're ready? And why do you think that? And like any advice on those who are fucking terrified of <laughs> doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So my, this whole book writer fuel is all about your draft starting and finishing it, but starting begins much earlier than you realize. And so it's really the idea is starting to me. And that's what I'm trying to impart in this book. Hopefully it comes across a little bit like that. Um, But drafting is the part of like linking the words and the sentences together, right? Building the story, if you will. So the, the piece about that, that I think is important is that story is how it happens, right? It's your character involvement. It's their interactions, but plot is how it happens. It's the events in the story, right? So my goal to start is what feels good to you and to debunk the myth that drafting is the only way to start. Because to me, I map a story in my brain, kind of like a writer sketch, if you will, by mood boards. I think of a general concept idea. I've talked about this in the rebel author community before, like, oh, I have this idea about tarot trials. I don't know where that's going, but oh, all of a sudden I have a character and then I start to mood board it out. That's me starting. That's not me writing a chapter one. That's not me outlining it's just to start. So if you have an idea, you'll, you, you, sh- if you ever go to like a gathering where somebody's like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. It's on my bucket list. I'm sure you've heard that. Right. Oh, so and then, <laughs> right. And then and I like, go, oh, really? <laughs> right. And I, I'm just that sassy person who goes about what? Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god I love it I'm gonna steal that with <laughs> and, and usually somebody will tell you right like they'll be like okay I I have uh I have this idea about this girl's like a Thelma and Louise a girl trip you know that da 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 and usually there's something it's a sentence it could be plot it could be character it's some kind of little piecemeal Seed. thing Mm. Yeah. It's a seed, right? It's the idea. And you go, Oh, that's awesome. So what have you done to start that? You know, and it could, it could, well, I ha- I've written or I haven't written it. That's starting to me. That is starting. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. And I almost, okay. I can probably blame my activator for this but I almost can't help myself (laughs) I almost can't stop myself from starting I'm like I had the opposite problem like I want to start all of the things immediately in fact yesterday let's start them yesterday so that we're already going and then like I die in the middle Yeah, I'm not different. <laughs> so I I have a lot of Scrivener files, yeah. like with those ideas and I'll plot things, 
but now I'm more purposeful of where I spend my time. Right. So I, I think ideas I'm also, I, I like to say I'm an idea generator. Like that is my superpower. I'm never short of that. And I love collaborating with authors who are writers who haven't figured out their idea, but I think you just have to start and play and talk and get it out. Yes. I now am far more careful about what I start because I know once I start and once I hit a certain point, I have to see it through because achiever is higher than activator. So like the the activator got reined in a little bit, like the leash got put on because yeah, because I did have the opposite problem. Um, Okay. So this one's, this one is more personal and deep for me. I came to writing originally to play. I think most of us do that. Like it is our inner child that has that seed that we've been talking about. And she wants to play and she wants to create the feelings that she had as a kid when she picked up a book and disappeared into a world. And somewhere along the line, over the last few years, I definitely lost the joy. I lost the fun and Mm. it got hard. Now I am writing under a pen name and it's so much fun. (laughs) Literally, I'm buzzing my tits off over over this whole thing (laughs) because it's like nobody's watching. No one. Nobody can tell me what to do. There is total freedom And it's enabled me to find the fun again. And I've started playing. Um, So I just wondered, like, what mindset advice you would give to writers who have either lost the fun or, like, ways to help them keep the fun and or find it again? Yeah. So a couple of things came to mind as you were talking, because I was thinking, you know, you have freed yourself of pressure of an audience. Yeah. Right. And that's part of that permission too. So this is the interesting thing, right? Because it's not, it's not the audience, right? Because I am still writing a thing that I'm going to put out that needs to find an audience. What it is, is freeing myself of expectations, I think. Because my current audience has certain expectations of me and I cannot... Mm-hmm. me as a person is whole right so sasha black is is one part of me me as a wife is another part of me mm-hmm. me as a mother is another part of me and there is this other part of me that needs to write some stuff that is not going to fit here so it's it's less about the audience because i'm hoping it finds an audience and and that is a different kind of pressure but it's the expectation i think of not delivering what people expect of me does that make sense yeah absolutely and i think part of the discussion for others is around not being afraid to experiment for the sake of experimenting because that's exactly what you did right mm. and i talk i talk a little bit about that in my book too because there's this part where I've coached just a a few, a handful of clients where they have written a certain way. 
and I'll challenge them to write a different way and do an exercise. And let me tell you, every writer who I challenge to rewrite chapter one completely from somebody else's point of view, it's a, a typical eye roll because they don't want to do it. The writing is finished in their mind. But what's interesting is if you have them do this exercise over um, a couple of different pieces over the same chapter, it's always the last one they love, right? Because they've, they've started to let go their anger of doing the activity. They started to release the pressure of the expectation of what that's going to cause and what it's going to do to their story. And it frees you. It's almost, it's almost as if it unlocks this aspect of judgment, Mm -hmm. which will, I'm sure we'll talk about later, but it allows you, it, inhibits what's called playful intelligence because it's purposeful play. It's not recreation. I think there's a misconception around play being recreation, like a kid just for the joy of laughing and playing right in the mud or whatever it is. This is purposeful, playful intelligence, right? You're sitting down, you're playing and you're experimenting with the skill set you have as a writer in a new genre a new point of view, whatever that is. Right. And it releases you. So in terms of, um, this concept, which is a scientific concept actually around playful intelligence is that it is a mindset and that you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to be playfully intelligent to intelligent today. You have to set yourself up for what the experiment is. Is it, I'm going to write in a different genre, or I'm going to write instead, physically write instead of type on my computer. Am I going to dictate instead of looking at my screen? Am I going to black out my screen and type, which one, um, writing, uh, professor I had told me to do, which totally freed me because I was editing the entire time Uh, I was writing. So there's uh, different mechanisms. So my trick for that is to, is to write so fast that I cannot turn my editing brain on. I was having this conversation, funnily enough, with somebody this week, and I was like, the only way I've been able to turn off my editing brain is to write so fucking fast that my yep. brain cannot do anything other than just get the words out. And that that's it. That is the only way I can turn off the editing, which is, which. so we were, before air, we were talking about how I've been struggling with editing and this is my fear about slowing down in order to write a cleaner draft in order to make editing easier is that my fear is I will start editing whilst drafting and then I won't finish the book. So like I completely, yeah, yeah, I love what you're saying. Yeah. So I think for playful intelligence to get in that play and that joy and what excites you, because this is what you don't want. You don't want at the end of your day, if you're a night writer, to come home, do the things you need to do at home and go, Oh God, I've got to go sit down and write. That's not what you want to do. You want to be in a position of, Oh my gosh, now it's time to go. write. Like you want that kind of joy. Will it always be like that? Um, hell no, I won't lie to you. It won't always be like that, but the intent is nine times out of 10, you want to be somewhere in that aspect of, yes, I'm getting to this and I'm further along than I was yesterday, Mm. whether that's a hundred words or a thousand words. Like I also have this, I have this 
picadillo or this issue with word counts. Um, Cause I think writing is more than word counts. And I had this interesting discussion actually with Daniel Wilcox about story is a story when it's done. It doesn't matter if it's 40,000 words, 75,000 words, 10,000 words, right? It's when the story is done. And then you can always look at the purpose of the story, whether it's short story, novella, novel, you know, as you're learning and you know your craft a bit more. But I think sometimes when we look at this stuff, right, and and we we take the joy out of it because we go, okay, I'm going to write this romance story. It's going to be enemies to lovers. It needs to be 75,000 words. And all I know is that I have this really hunky firefighter. Like, that's, I never, that's I never enough. know. Yeah. I never know what my word count is going to be. I always know I write short the first draft and then it, it gets bigger in edits, but I don't, I can't, yeah. I don't understand how to say, this was one of the things that always, I was always like, Dan, how do you do that? Because I don't understand how he's like, oh, this book's going to be this amount of 63 and a half thousand words. And I'm like, I don't, my mind is blowing right now. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try not to focus on that really. I think when you want to look at marketing conventions, yeah, take it, take a gander at it, you know, and have a goal. But in terms of not reaching that goal or going over that goal, yeah. You know, as long as it's in the right format and completed an end, for example, Writer Fool is not a large book by any stretch of the imagination. It's a very short book. And I like to call it my small but mighty book because mm-hmm. it's 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 not it's not story structure, it's not character development, it's not craft in that sort of sense. It's all about mindset, it's all about inspiration and motivation. So, you know, I think whatever your story is, let it be the story that is not bound by a particular wrapping of word count. Cause ooh, that's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Or, or expectation, not bound by an expectation. And that is the biggest lesson that I have learned with this writing, this particular book is that like I went in using a particular trope and I was like, Oh, it needs to be this. And then I was like, no, no, it does not. And so, and this is part mm. of the reason that I have had a pain a pain editing is because there's two ways to work the trope and I went in expecting it to be this way because that's the more common way and I was like uh-uh it needs to be this way and so I've had to like but but it was that that expectation again and expectations seriously are like my Achilles heel like they just crush me mm-hmm. and and the problem is <laughs> nine times out of ten than my own fucking expectations i expect Mm. certain things and this is why like ellie has made me do so much work on expectations and it's not fun (laughs) but it gets me back to the fun so you know um okay let's talk about the sassy saboteur what is it and how do we combat it (laughs) (laughs) so i love this my husband actually named this of all things, it wasn't my brilliant idea, it was his, but it's more commonly known as like the devil in your shoulder, the inner critic, the imposter syndrome. It's that voice and the doubts of all you do, want to do, um, and how you control it. It has to tie back to your why and your goals. Like if, if you are unable to do what you wanted to do, if it was taken away from you, how would you feel? Would you be ambivalent? Or would you be fired up? If someone took writing away. Yeah. Like if you were unable to do it, 
if it was taken away from you, how would you feel? Would you be fired up or ambivalent? Like if you're ambivalent about it, that devil in your shoulder, like I'm taking this away from you and you're like, eh, okay, well then, you know, it's not a strong thing. But if you were fired up and you were like, who the hell do you think you are? Then that's you controlling it, right? So that's how you control that sassy saboteur. It's like when it gets that rough in your ear, it's, it's one of those things that you fight back against, really. It's your inner critic. It's your imposter. It's that, it's that monster is mm-hmm. kind of how I look at it. And I always like to think of this too. And this is where my, my husband was coming up with the sassy saboteur, eh? cause I'm the sassy writing coach, but it's like, as with anything, right. If you were thinking of, if you were going into war by yourself, right. Is one thing, right? If you're going into war by yourself. But what's interesting is that even though writing is a solo activity, it's really not when you have community around you. So then that voice becomes less and less. The volume turns down when you go into war with your community around you, with your writing partners, your critique partners, even if it's your beta readers or what have you, right? So it gets less and less. So really that's what the sassy saboteur is. We all have one. It's just me kind of marketing it around (laughs) sassy writing coach, but it's the things that you're sabotaging yourself from completing and getting to your goal. That's what it is. Yup. And the self-sabotage can be an absolute bitch. Like that I definitely have self-sabotaged over the years and I still think that that is one of the things that I still need to work on because I still think that there are things that I do that that self-sabotage and I need to stop and some of that comes back down to what you said earlier which was about being kind to yourself like the minute you start being kind to yourself you stop sabotaging yourself and um yeah and so it's that very fine line between um needing the harshness to stay motivated because that's how your brain works like I mm-hmm. I I need one of those coaches like the American football coaches that like grabs the helmet and screams in their face rather than like the slap on the bum or the the back rub or whatever but also there is a line because it can also be too much and that can then like lower your self-worth and then you can self-sabotage um so mm-hmm. I love that Okay. Talk to me about quitting versus sticking versus pivoting. How do we know when to do each? (laughs) This is my favorite topic. (laughs) So um, it's tough to answer directly because it's driven by you. But in my chapter on quitting versus sticking, it's really all about strategy. So the goal is you can change your mind. What? I say say that punctuated because I find some writers who are so unhappy and I'm like, why do you continue? Like, it's just, it's the worst thing we do is to stay out of fear. And it was interesting. My editor who I adore was like, can you find a quote about quitting? Guess who couldn't find a quote about that was kind about quitting? It was basically, don't quit, you're a failure, never <gasps> say quit, have like you, doing have, all those things. Have you read Quit by Annie Duke? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Read to, 
literally read it this week because of Joanna Penn. She was like, you need to read this book. And I was like, okay, like thinking it was like, oh my God, it's my like favorite book of the year. I think it literally has like surpassed everything that I've read. It is phenomenal. Highly recommend it. Just sorry, carry on anyway. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm excited to read it because I think it's probably along the same lines of how I feel. I don't feel quitting is a schoolyard game. Like it's, it's like a taunt and actually quitting is healthy because it's evolutionary, right? Quitting something can be a simple way of saying no to something that isn't serving you to make space for something that will, which can be a pivot, right? Um, They can go hand in hand, right? There's this aspect of push through the pain when you're exercising, right? Because the outcome, you know, you're building the muscle, you're going to get here. That's one thing. But then there's the push of pushing beyond your limits that's causing injury, Mm-hmm. long-term, right? Same thing with writing here in my mind is that you can change your mind on anything, right? You can pivot, you can move your goals around. And I think that, um, when you hear someone say, you know, don't quit you're a quitter, you know, all that stuff. I want to go damn right. I'm a quitter. Cause I've moved on to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's, it's this weird adage of, um, almost the sports coach yelling in your face, you know, don't be a quitter, don't be, you know, and I hate that because I just think that's such a bad thing. I think it should be more along the lines. Okay. So you're quitting. So what, what's the next step? What are you going to do? I had this, um, interesting aspect. I talk about it in my book where my daughters went through a menagerie of activities and I had a relative, like you're raising your kids to be quitters. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm raising them to be cultured, to try new things. They went through soccer. They went through gymnastics, violin, piano, singing, like all the things. Right. But they never quite stuck to something longer than a year and a half, maybe two, if I was lucky. And I was okay with that, but it was interesting that a different generation was looking at that as I'm raising quitters. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that is an interesting paradigm and narrative that needs to die. <laughs> I don't yeah, like it. I, I, I think it's agree. ridiculous. It's like a strategic quit. Um, it, For example, I quit Taekwondo just recently in like the last six weeks and the reason I quit and this the crazy thing is is that I was only two exams away from my black belt two exams a few months and I quit and like I did not think that I would do that but I just was like this is not serving me anymore and I I go to boot camp now five times a week whereas taekwondo is only twice a week I've lost weight I'm happier I'm I'm more motivated I enjoy it more and it's like I quit for the right the right reason because something else better is here now you know and um so yeah like I definitely I definitely think that there is a place for strategic quitting and it's almost like we're coming full circle because we need to give ourselves permission to quit the things that do not serve us anymore. What I really don't like is that people think quitting is finite, like it's Mm. the end. And I think that with quitting, I think it's one of those words that doesn't have to be finite. It can be certainly, but I think there's opportunity strategically to determine whether it's, 
you know, a pivot to something else, whether it's a pause, because I talk about things being a pause as well. Um, so I just feel like there's this bad connotation with the word quit. And I think it needs to go away. I completely agree. Okay. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. So because today I was at the DMV looking to get my license renewed because I had let it expired, I thought I would tell you this, this little rebellious story. So my family and I moved to Germany in 2011 uh, for my job, and my husband and I thought this was a great opportunity to move to Germany, culture our kids, you know, just travel around Europe as well while we were there. So um, during that time period, I got my European driver's license and it was probably the hardest test <laughs> I've ever taken. Yep. And I studied like a mad woman for it. And um, when it was time to move back to the States, we moved to Pennsylvania and going to the DMV in Pennsylvania, typically in the States, you hand over your other state license and they give you the new state license. That's how you register when you change address, all that fun stuff. So going to the DMV in Pennsylvania, thankfully I'm not in Pennsylvania anymore because I probably wouldn't be telling the story, but they said, hand over your license. And I was like, over my dead body, this is for life. Like my European license I have for life. If I ever go over there, rent a car, whatever, I'm doing. They were like, well, we can't give you a, a Pennsylvania license then until you are ready uh, to turn it over. And I was like, well, that's not happening. So I'm from Tennessee, as mm -hmm. you know. And I said, hey, dad, I'm coming down for a visit, you know, and I'm just going to pretend I live with you. Went down to the DMV, took my birth certificate, got my <laughs> Pennsylvania driver's license. When I went home, turned in my Pennsylvania, my Tennessee driver's license to get my Pennsylvania one. Cause I was oh like, why in hell are you kidding? <laughs> my European driver's license. <laughs> oh my God. I absolutely love that. I, I honestly, my driving test was like horrific. I failed twice and uh, like it, I'm still scarred by having failed that exam twice. So yeah, I completely. And also we have these horrible um, theory tests that you have to do. And it's like, oh my God. Anyway, I bloody love that rebellion. Um, okay. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your services and anything else that you would like to add? Sure. So my website is sassywritingcoach.com. I'm also on a podcast for storytellersfaceoff.com and it's a seasonal podcast and season one is done. I'm also on TikTok at Sassy Writing Coach and Instagram at author Sassy Cassie. Amazing. So everything sassy. Yeah. <laughs> I expect nothing less. Um, okay. Thank you so much for your time today. I have absolutely loved this. I, it felt like a really deep and meaningful conversation. And I hope that everybody like gets as much from it as I did. Thank you, of course, to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus goodies, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Cassie Newell. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. 
Next week, I am joined by the one and only Sarah Cannon. I am so excited to bring you this episode because I have wanted to have Sarah on the podcast for a really long time. And so I was delighted when she said yes. And we are going to be talking all about planning for authors. 